Hello, everyone. We are a half Chinese Brit and a Siberian Russian living in China. We use our unique perspectives to demystify and translate Chinese culture and lifestyle. My name is Lucian, and my name is Artem. We are entrepreneurs who made it in China, and now we are sharing our experience with you. And if you want to know more about our careers and China stories, how we got there, so you could listen to our pilot episode where we talked about why China, why not China.、Uh, we got pretty good feedback before, but today we will talk about the topic we should talk long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's really high time that we talked about this topic,、um, and it's of course about the coronavirus, right? And the China experience of the coronavirus, and we're asking ourselves: Will the world really never be the same? Is there really a new normal? And how will China fit into that? And how did China come through it? Why the world's still fighting against coronavirus? China, we are in like in the future here in China, you know. And I'm getting a lot of direct messages from friends and some of them like entrepreneurs from different industries. They want to know more about China experience. How we survived, how businesses survived, or how businesses died.、Uh, I mean, like how it's going back to normal. What is new normal? Because like we live in this new normal now, right? Hmm. Okay. So, Artem, what is your opinion on the statement that the world will never be the same? I don't think so. The thing is, what we、uh, can see now in China is nothing. Back, I mean, like all is back to normal, and it's not new normal. And you know, like people just wearing mask. Is it a new normal? It's like changed the world totally. I mean, like clubs are full of people,、uh, metro full of people, traffic jams,、uh, people traveling, people go to restaurants, and no any social distancing actually. So almost all back to normal. Okay, I think I think that that's a that's a very interesting perspective.、Um, Okay, fine. Let's give a little background on on the coronavirus. Then I'm sure that everyone knows, but of course, it originated in Wuhan around November, December time,、um, and it really exploded in January. And you said, "Of course." Okay, fine.、Um, <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's your point of view, but still, no any like 100 evidence of this. Well, this is a this is another this is almost another in topic entirely. But it's so interesting seeing the narratives coming both from. Domestic media as well as international media, the conspiracy theories, the idea that perhaps it was built by by American soldiers who'd like transported over here, or Americans <laughs> accusing the Chinese of building the super virus in a lab in Wuhan, and I mean it's 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 really interesting that everything and anything bec- can become politicized, and there's always a scapegoat. You know, there's always a winner. There's always a loser. Quite aside from from the from the obvious winners and losers, there's that political narrative at all times. It it's been a really interesting thing to see.、Uh, okay, if we go back to、uh, highlights of、uh, coronavirus epidemic in China, so it started in January. I mean, like everyone like realized how tough is it in January. I remember myself till like I don't know, till January twentieth. I think I was like. It's 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 a Wuhan thing. Like Shanghai is a big city. It's like a good hygiene here. It's always good, and like it's like、uh, not about us. And then it comes,、mm-hmm. and it was like quite serious. The whole February, but actually in the end of February, we already back to the offices、mm-hmm. with some restrictions, with、uh, a lot of measures. But I remember around like 
like after St. Valentine's Day, I think, uh, like February 15th or something, we're back to offices. Yeah, around that time, I think in many ways things were starting to get back to normal in terms of regulations. But it was very interesting to see how people were reacting. A lot of people, they didn't want to come out. Yeah. Right, even though they're allowed to. Yeah. Right, and particularly the first two weeks of the office being open the security guards they're very strict they're wearing like hazmat suits yeah. i mean it was like it was like a scene out of a film right oh, yeah. and they're really like checking where you'd been the last few days and and um checking your details and that kind of thing and then within a couple of weeks it had just become like a formality yeah right they they weren't really checking they were just doing it to do it yeah and uh, many my chinese friends and, and foreigners actually they yeah even uh, op- offices opened. The employees, you know, they, they, they can stay at home and work at home because, like, everyone understand it was so uh, unpredictable situation. Everyone was thinking about the second wave because, like, when coronavirus in China started, it was Chinese New Year. And mm. Chinese New Year, everyone back home. And, like, big cities like Shanghai and Beijing was, like, almost empty. Mm-hmm. So, and everyone was scared about when whole people go mm-hmm. back. And offices open, maybe it will be the second the second new wave. Yeah, I think actually it was a good thing that it was the Chinese New Year, because traditionally people go back to their home villages, right? So it's very easy to kind of track where everyone is going. Whereas with other big holidays, people are flying all over the world, um, and that's very difficult to track. So in a way, it was almost a blessing that it was kind of contained within China and and within several several certain cities. Yeah, and it's happened uh before Chinese New Year like week two weeks before, I mean like the big outbreak. So it was really a good thing. Not good thing for actually for factories or for measures because many things was closed for holidays and factory like workers all go back home. That's why uh, many Chinese factories cannot back to work so fast. Uh, to work on like masks, to work on uh, another uh, medical equipment, you know. When people realize that like uh, the second wave is not coming, and offices are opened, like more people in metro, more people like uh, in uh, cafes, McDonald's is open. I mm-hmm. mean, like clubs was uh, closed there at uh, the time, but uh, many many restaurants and cafes starting to open with the restrictions again. And many shopping malls was working like till 8 p.m. only mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like this, you know. And even in March, they already opened some parks mm-hmm. and some like attraction was like open, but with the limited uh, people can come in. So I think what's really interesting for me is seeing the way that people have re- really reacted to the virus. So some of my friends have been very terrified, you know, and they're really like they're really not willing to leave the house. Right. Um even up until kind of April, May. And then you also see some bits of news, like I think it was March or April, where the weather was really good in Hangzhou and the Westlake scenic area, which is beautiful, it was like mobbed by locals because it was such a beautiful day and it was a weekend and these people had been like, they'd been trapped at home for literally like one or two months. That was really interesting to see how how people react differently. Um, and I think the general narrative is that people here, they listen to the government and, you know, they all care about everyone else's safety. But at the same time, ultimately, we are still human, right? And we still do want to go to the park. We still do want the sunshine. 
we still do want to be free. And like Huangshan, one of the most important uh, mountain in uh, terms of Buddhism, Taoism in China, uh, many people went there mm-hmm. to like it's uh, not tourist attraction. For for this uh, sweeping day, you need go to such places. Mm-hmm. I'd say like uh, to pay your respects to to your ancestors. Yeah, and there are m- like more special places for this, like uh, Huangshan. And you know, the first day it was crowded as fuck. I, I don't know. I saw that photo. So what the fuck is wrong with people? Why <laughs> they go there? And then on the second day, like uh, local government realized that like was mistake and then like stopped and limit mm. people again mm-hmm. because it was too much. Yeah. I mean, like they even don't expect that that many people will come for that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's ultimately it, right? I think there is no one narrative of all Chinese people are this way or all Italian people are this way. People are all different. I think we've given a pretty good timeline of the virus. Um, let me ask you very directly then: How was your business affected, and by what point did you start to feel business was coming back? We have survived. <laughs> That's <laughs> the, the 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 main thing, right? It's like June, almost July, and we are still like okay. Our business is not bad. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think all is coming back for us. Because mm-hmm. uh, we like uh, do international business. Mm-hmm. The first and the main income uh, source of min- income is U China company, which like uh, manufacturing and supplying. When so uh, for us it was like we was prepared well for like one month without any production because it was Chinese New Year, so factories don't work like almost for one month. But then it become like two months, even mm-hmm. more than two months. So for sure it's important for us because we are getting our commission when we ship the things. Then China started back to normal. They start to work. Factories start to produce things. They even finished some orders. And then our foreign customers they don't need this because like it it start a huge epidemic outside the U.S., Russia, European customer. They say. Please not now. After epidemic, after epidemic is over, we are like fucked up now here. Oh, we cannot pay or something like this, you know. So for us, it's still happening. I mean, like in U.S., you know, last week, ah, this week it was like maximum one day forty thousand people new cases. Mm. That's a lot. I mean, like it's it's not it's it's even not peak there. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so uh, people only thinking they're about surviving. I mean, like surviving with their businesses, with their families, whatever. So they are not thinking about how can I get my order from China if it's not masks, you know, or like medical equipment, some necessary things. So for this business, we are still not back to normal. Um, for Laowaimi, it's you know, Laowaimi. It's uh, our souvenirs and gifts related to China. And you know, like uh, when it's coronavirus started, and we have these Chinese New Year boxes, and no one wants this. Like they refund, refund in February. All people who bought it, I won't refund. I don't wear, receive any box from China, <laughs> and I send them link for uh, WHO that like it's it's safe to get parcels from China. They don't trust. They just I don't need. I don't need it. You know. So and most of the foreigners who like another part of our customers here in China, they left China. Mm. <laughs> so we always like fucked up totally. Only this month it started back to normal a bit, and we're getting some orders, but. The thing is, it takes now like uh, before it was two weeks. Now it's one month, even three months to get the parcels. It's shipped very fast from China, 
but there's like huge uh, lines on like in the US in Europe because like this coronavirus thing really influenced all industries a lot mm-hmm. and people start to buy a lot of online they don't go offline that's why they, they I mean like it's too many parcels okay so supply chains are really clogged up then yep right all over the world yeah okay and then the only one thing which is good I mean like uh, we have a me- media outlet about China so it was a lot of attention to China recently and we keep going doing content a lot and that's why we actually also launched the new podcast mm. and we launched YouTube uh, project with uh, my friend William and now I'm launching my own YouTube channel for Russian uh, audience so uh, we use this like opportunity we got some time because we lost a lot of customers and I have time now so I think like investment in content marketing is the best now. Mm, okay. It's m- huge monologue about <laughs> business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, like huge conglomerate <laughs> company group. Your business like, empire, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, we survived. This is a good thing. So what about your business? I know like most of your customers are like hotels and mm, companies from travel industry. And this industry is obviously fucked up in this So I own a PR agency. We help local and global brands grow in the China market. We made a very deliberate decision last year to pivot towards travel and tourism, which back then seemed like a very smart idea because the China travel market is, is or was fantastic, right? Chinese people love to travel. And then, of course, this was the industry that was hit hardest by, by the virus. So we were okay still, though, because we do a lot of online stuff for clients. So even though we do offline events and, and PR and, and media stuff, that all got cancelled, but we still had some revenue coming in from online. And that was great. Um, but we lost a few of those clients because, as I say, they were running out of money. And the first thing that gets cut is always the marketing budget, right? Then after that, we started to feel during March and April, we were taking a lot of meetings with potential clients because they were desperate to start spending again they had these budgets that so that they set out from last year and they had nowhere to spend right and they needed to start earning for mm. 2020 and so they were thinking of they were thinking of brand new innovative ways to to reach those customers again so we saw a lot of people come towards us asking us for online solutions whether it's e-commerce whether it's wechat um how to build these kind of channels that they can grab people from online and sell them products online to offline as i see like your company's income reduced like a lot mm-hmm. so how you survived what did you do what is like risk management uh, what did you cut what budget one of the things that we did was actually leave our office that was an interesting one because actually the government was pushing a lot of office spaces to give companies free rent for two months we were both at we work And unfortunately, they didn't give us free rent. And of course, when we're in the the middle of this huge crisis, a lot of companies could not afford to pay rent. So they made the transition, as we did, to working from home. And I think that's had a really bad rebound effect for offices because now a lot of companies know that actually they can work from home. They don't need an office. So that's that's one of the things we cut. Other things I tried not to cut because I'd saved a lot of money from previously. I was still able to pay employees, which perhaps in hindsight, from a financial point of view, 
was not the right thing to do. I think morally it was the right thing to do because, you know, these people, they rely on me. I had to tighten my belt, as they say, right? So I cut my own costs significantly, but I managed to keep paying the staff. And I think for me, I'm pretty satisfied with that. I left office in Shanghai because like we have main office in Shenzhen. Mm. So I, here it was like only representative office, but the main office and warehouse all was in Shenzhen. It's still in Shenzhen. Actually in Shenzhen, Uh, from the landlord, we got like 50% discount for March uh, office, which is really good. And we reduced 20% salary for two months for our staff, which is like uh, according to the Chinese law. It was you cannot pay less than 80%, but yeah, you can pay like 20% in uh, epidemic time. And uh, yeah, we move, I moved uh, our warehouse from Shenzhen to Shaoxing. It's a city in Zhejiang close to Hangzhou. So, and I got like free office from my friend there. And so like we used any, any opportunities to cut our costs actually, because really even now we maybe like epidemic will be over soon in the world, but no one knows what about like economic crisis, which is like really could be go after that. So we're preparing, preparing and saving money as soon as possible because uh, this year and the next year probably will be really tough. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I think that's also part of the reason that we started doing this podcast, right? We had a lot more time. Our company, personally, we started investing a lot more time on LinkedIn. And we found that we had a lot more time to start doing content, start doing marketing, and just give out good information, good stories to people. So that hopefully by the time we come back and they come back for business, we're in their minds. So what makes China so efficient to fight uh, against coronavirus? Well, I think one of the huge things is the government support. Lots of incentives, lots of grants. They're really pushing hard on landlords to give free rent, for example. Uh, one of the big things is that this year we're only paying 1% corporate tax. But actually, that's only useful if you survived to now. Because if you didn't survive, you wouldn't be a beneficiary of any of these grants or subsidies. One of the other things that I think has been very important, I, I know that Artem said we shouldn't get into politics, but again, um, being a very organized society where people understand that society is greater than the individual, there is a lot of emphasis on keeping the peace, making sure that everyone is safe and listening to government notifications you know so staying indoors staying safe staying clean this kind of thing so it's not about politics only it's more about society i think like it's yes uh, you can say that chinese people don't give a fuck about other people in terms of like uh, daily life because mm -hmm. like, i mean like older generation uh, probably like this like this splitting or i don't know just listening Uh, very loud your <laughs> music on your phone you know yeah. like and <laughs> just don't give a fuck about people around you but when in terms of like really danger or like when it's uh, it's a threat for a uh, whole country for the nation they are uh, could be responsible civic minded right yeah 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 so yeah. in this case they stayed at home and they i mean like when it just started and i didn't realize how uh, serious it is i was like just going out to enjoy like uh, empty bond for example i mm -hmm. just went out there like uh, and uh, 
post some moments on my WeChat, like uh, short videos and my Chinese friends, like if you go out, just like don't post it, okay? Or just stay at home, please. Mm-hmm. Because we all stay at home, you don't need to go out. And mm-hmm. like, oh. So they, it was like self-regulation. It was like, you know, in Shanghai, we didn't have this quarantine strict as like in Russia or US, when you got fines, when you go out something. It was like, you can go out at any time. Many places was closed, but you can go out on the street, but no one went. And mm-hmm. I have some, it, even uh, Shanghai was not red area or something. It not, was not that bad here. And many of my Chinese friends like stayed at home by themselves for one month or two months. They didn't go out. <laughs> I think that was really interesting. I was really surprised that people didn't have more cabin fever. Like at least in England or Russia, most people live in houses, so they have a garden. Yeah. Right, so you can get out. But Not here, in Russia. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. But here in China, definitely within cities, everyone lives in a, in a high-rise apartment, right? So your world is like confined to these four walls. I think people must have been going crazy. I know I was, right? I live next to the burn, so I was able to like go for runs and stuff, particularly at night, because partly it was, for me, it wasn't just about being worried about my own safety. It was also giving a good impression to other people. I didn't want to be that foreigner who's who's like going wild and like being out in the streets or not wearing a mask or going to the metro without a mask. Um, because, it, you know, we have a reputation that we have to uphold because we're representing all foreigners here. So anyway, whenever a disaster happens, there is always this scapegoat mentality. And originally it was people from Wuhan and then it became foreigners. And the narrative is very interesting to watch. That's also because of this media war, you know, like, because like uh, US and the Western countries start to blame China about this thing. What do you do to protect yourself? For sure, like you start to attack it also. So China start also to this, uh, join this media war. And for sure for them, it's the best thing is just like to show, look at this, look how bad epidemic is there. We like was fighting uh, against coronavirus for two months and you guys, you had so much time to prepare mm-hmm. and you didn't prepare at all. So now they like the whole world epidemic is like to blame you, not only us. It was like this kind of thing. And the thing there was like, look, 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 all foreigners like uh, now potential disease, <laughs> uh, like uh, owners, uh, yeah. <laughs> disease owners, disease carriers, carriers. Yeah. So, and that time, yeah, it was a few weeks when I also felt this thing on myself. I cannot call it racism, you know, but it was like people was really scared about uh, because like brainwashed by media outlets. And then, for example, even in Metro, uh, there was an old guy, also Lawai, foreign guy, uh, who like uh, went out from me to another side of a car. And there was like even more people, but that people were all Chinese people. So he avoided me because like <laughs> that time was, was about like, oh, Italy so bad, US so bad, you know. And I mean like the situation there. Mm-hmm. And that time uh, China just closed their borders. Mm-hmm. So potentially there should probably was some people who come here. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. But 95% of import cases was brought by Chinese people. But yeah. media didn't tell this. They didn't mention this. They call it imported cases. And when Chinese uh, hear imported cases, for sure it's about foreigners, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure, sure. So it was quite smart, uh, I mean, like brainwashing trick. <laughs> um, one thing that was very, very interesting for me is this gap of speed of policy and the reality. So in the sense of 
before they close the borders and before they impose a 14-day quarantine, actually people could come back, they could get tested at the airport, and they could go straight back to their houses in Shanghai or wherever, and then they could resume normal life. I think they had to do like a, a one-week like self-imposed quarantine, but there was nothing like mandatory, right? And then it became, you came to the airport and then you were put into a hotel by the government and you had to stay there quarantined. So there was this gap of time where people could just come in, mm-hmm. right, and do whatever they wanted. And then even though everyone knew it was a problem, the policy didn't get enforced for at least two weeks. What the virus has really taught me is that big corporates, big governments, God, we're all just so fragile. Yeah. Right. And they can change all things very fast. And they can change everything very quickly. I mean, like, even yeah. in Shanghai, I was really surprised. This is like the most, one of the most international city in the whole Asia. It's one of the, always on the top rating for expats in the world. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was moving to a new apartment at this time, like in uh, March and April. And many compounds just don't let me come in. Even when they was opened for any like uh, guests, but for Chinese people, when they see white guy, they just like. I mean, like I went for a dinner to my friend, to my Chinese friend, with another Chinese friends who didn't live there in that compound, and they like, okay, you go. I said like, but they don't live there. They are also guests, the same as me. And then I showed them my uh, health QR code and like my even uh, air tickets when I just come back in in late December. So I didn't go out of China for three months and like I'm here in Shanghai and it doesn't work. They say, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no. Without any reason, you know, like, uh, it's like, uh, why, no, why? <laughs> I, think, I think that is, I mean, one, it's always been, it, foreign is always like a, a problem or not. Well, I think that is a separate issue that's been extended because for foreigners to do things in China has always been a little bit more difficult than for locals, right? More paperwork. So here it's like eliminating that risk, whereas before the virus, it was worth going through the extra paperwork for a customer, even if they're a foreigner. Now the risk is too high because what if, right? I think China has always been a very what if kind of culture, right? Particularly in terms of governance and regulations, it's always about safety. Safety is paramount. Yeah, and better don't take responsibility. Don't take risks and so you don't have to take responsibility. The other thing that I think was interesting about what you said is that it's not just about being a foreigner. It's about anywhere in China, right? So you hear stories about people from Wuhan really, really being discriminated against. Yeah, even more than us. Way super badly. Um, and there are videos of when the Beijing government announced that people from Wuhan and that province, Hubei, were allowed out to, to other cities to go back to work and stuff again. There were There were riots on the borders of that province from other provinces who didn't want to let them in. Yeah. Right? So it's not just about forests. It's like every people in China has been affected. Actually, I met a girl from Wuhan the other day, right? She's a friend of a friend. And, you know, we just got chatting. I was like, oh, so where are you from? And she's like, oh, I'm from Wuhan, but I haven't been there in ages. Don't, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. So even without me saying anything, she's already trying to comfort me and make me not worry about where she's from right so actually thinking from her perspective i think it must be really tough for for people from from wuhan because they have this real like this real stigma attached to them so 
actually I agree yes that's why I said from the start uh, it's not about racism even I posted first about racism but then I realized like that Wuhan people treated even worse than us but let's go talk about back to normal we talked mm. about how it was during epidemic and there were a lot of actually all media write a lot of materials about this but there is not that many about like back to normal so how do you feel <laughs> in back to normal <laughs> i mean like we started to talk about if anything changed and i don't see a lot of things change just like we go points by points for example office work was changed if really a lot of companies start to be remote if they work remote i don't see this i think like uh, most of the uh, traditional sectors industries they're back to offices and it's deep in chinese culture i think chinese like to kaihui they like to have a meetings they like to drink tea with the customers with their managers with their teams they love team buildings oh my god they love to like uh, i mean like laoban and the boss he they 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 love to see their people you know mm-hmm. i think you're completely right with the office work side i think what's interesting is actually the office itself it's almost a little bit perfunctory so for example our office building that we used to be in before there's 5000 people in that building so the security guards downstairs they temperature check 5000 people a day coming in and out lunchtime in and out whatever so that's probably let's say 10000 people that they have to check every every day multiplied over like now what 3 months i mean by this point they're not even looking at the at yeah. the thermometer right they barely even press the button they just they just wave it over you as you walk in because how can a human being have that much attention span to have you know check the temperature of literally hundreds of thousands of people it's few cases but still like the 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 thing is if you have temperature high temperature they don't let you go in and this is like go to hospital that's it and like qr codes i mean like they still ask in some places for health QR code and actually this is one more reason we didn't take what helped china to fight with coronavirus that the people like all re- already digitalized everyone have wechat everyone has uh, uh, like uh, do- do- doesn't have cash which very important like in terms of uh, cur- virus spread right mm-hmm. you don't touch anything and here like QR codes and even it's even better than apple pay you can like scan QR code on 3 5 meters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and many shops when it was like uh, outbreak you know they even uh, put some like distant thing and they give you or oh starbucks also they don't communicate with you at all like you don't uh, come close mm-hmm. they ta- put your order on some table so it's totally like yeah, no any yeah, contact isolated yeah chinese uh, yimai uh, food delivery is the most developed in the world mm-hmm. that's why it was also easy for chinese people to stay at home mm-hmm. and the minimum order is super low yeah. you can like order for eight zimbi yeah. like which is a one dollar and they will bring mm-hmm. it to you they'll still deliver it, yeah because mm-hmm. like china already digitalized that's what helped to create this like qr codes on alipay or wechat basis very easy because yeah. like they have all uh, your data and i think that works very well into our next topic that we're talking about which is cafes restaurant bars and clubs right yeah where how they back to normal and how they survived so restaurants and and cafes like you said already they were always doing delivery anyway i actually there are some restaurants that i know of that are delivery only they don't even have like a space for people to sit they're just a kitchen and some delivery people 
So that was already the infrastructure before the virus. And so we were very well placed to, to go forward. Bars and clubs, that's an interesting one because, you know, the point of being in a bar or a club is to be social, you know, be around each other, drink. And, and I saw and, a few of them made these like online parties, you know, where yeah. DJ was playing in the yeah, empty yeah. bar and that people <laughs> at home, they had parties. But it's the same for all the world, right? Yeah. Actually, one of the really interesting things about what you said about live streaming is this very famous club in Shanghai called Tax. And they were doing live streaming. And because on live stream, you can actually get donations. Mm -hmm. They were making loads of cash for one or two days. And then because they're doing so well and attracting so much attention, they actually got shut down by the authorities. Really? Yeah. <laughs> for, for, I guess, you know, not being a very positive outlook or something like that. Yeah. And many bars actually start to sell like special, uh, their cocktails. Mm -hmm. like their signature cocktails in a special bottles, like with a good delivery. So like, I mean, uh, you're getting your drink uh, almost like in the same condition, mm -hmm. like you're going to the bar mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you also go to the bar for like good cocktails sometimes. For many Russian businesses, it was tough because delivery is not that developed yet. And uh, to go online is really hard for any businesses when you're like offline business and mm -hmm. you suddenly want to make all online. I think that's the same for, for a lot of places outside of China, like England, especially places where labor costs are very high, right? In England, delivery is like, it's at least a few pounds to get something delivered. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, yeah. right? Um, and so labor costs in China are just so, so low. The infrastructure for delivery is, is there. No, but w what about now? Cafe restaurants are full. If you go to found uh, the most famous bar street in Shanghai, and it's like really full of people it's crowded yeah. it's all it's almost back to normal i mean like i, I think maybe even more crazy <laughs> because <laughs> people like you know they're tired about crisis and they yeah, like yeah. want to go out and they think it's a funny kind of situation where like to get into somewhere you have to wear a mask yeah be wearing the mask as you walk through the door but as soon as you're through you take it off yes that's right so it's stupid. the same with offices malls yeah, yeah. nightclubs everywhere and especially for restaurants, mm -hmm. you know, like you come there to eat. Of you course, need you have to, to take it <laughs> to put it in your <laughs> mouth, you know. So it's all about like formality. Mm -hmm. Then going on to events. Well, events is a tough one because there are a lot of events companies here and Chinese people, Chinese companies, they love to have big, big events. I've got a lot of friends in the event industry. So whether it's event companies or hosts, MCs or designers, set designers and they really suffered for like six months, right? And even now, one of my very close friends, she was in the process of signing a contract to be an MC for a very big show in July. And because of the Beijing outbreak recently, that company and that event, they're now having second thoughts about whether to put that event on now. So... There are still some industries that are very, very, very fragile. It's interesting that like Metro is full of people, like mm -hmm. clubs full of people, but they don't let uh, cinemas work yet. The same for like uh, big events and for festivals. Yeah. You know, the, the biggest beer event here in China was canceled. I think there are two elements to that. One is that there are some things that are not necessary. And I think you can argue nightclubs and things are not super necessary to people. 
But then at the same time, and because the government is not one entity, there's several departments to each government in each city, right? So they're all trying to promote their own sector. So there's a travel and tourism sector, there's the nightlife sector, there's a restaurant sector, and each sector wants to support its own industry. So on the 6th of June, there was this big push for more nightlife in Shanghai, partly because in the last five years, the city's really been sanitized. Um, and so they want more street life culture coming back, but also because during the virus, so many small business owners in the nightlife industry got run out of business. The government is trying to promote them and their industry again. So there's the, the economic reality. Yeah, and they right. let uh, street vendors come out. Yeah. Even in Shanghai, the, like in downtown, you can see now guys preparing like chou dofu mm. on the streets. And that's great. You know, when I came traveling to China as a, as a child, that was very much part of the street culture in the last, as I say, last five years. It's really been sanitized in Shanghai. Yeah, now, now it's, it's back. Not sure for how long, but now it's, it's, it's very wise decision from Chinese government to let people earn money mm. however they mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. because it's they are the the another thing yeah to the main topic because the impact of small businesses maybe in shanghai not that big but for example i have a friend she's owner of beauty salon in hefei which is anhui province capital uh, she like cut six people she had nine staff before outbreak and now only three people it's still not back to normal i mean like the life back to normal but her services i mean like cutting hair is not that expensive thing it's not margin and uh, more expensive services for girls some girls procedures on the spa you know and a very expensive things it's not the first necessary thing for people mm -hmm. and in small towns and smaller cities even like hefei is not small city people lost a lot of money they lost jobs they or even they have some savings they don't want to spend it now because it's still uh, a scare of a new wave it's still mm -hmm. very unpredictable situation between like you know on tensions with us and the world crisis so people don't want to spend money in the smaller cities shanghai is okay yes because people are rich here Okay, so let's go into education and school. I think that's a really interesting topic. A lot of foreigners in China are here as teachers. And of course, during the virus, all offline teaching was just completely closed down, right? So they had to find new ways to teach online. And it was very interesting to see some of my friends who are at schools that are a little bit more innovative they had already formed an online teaching system, right? So they didn't have to scramble. But the, the other friends, I mean, they were starting from zero. So understanding softwares, making new materials, understanding how to interact with children online, etc., etc. Et many, many, uh, I also have friends in Beijing who are private kindergarten got bankrupt because mm -hmm. they didn't have enough money to make it online. Mm -hmm. They were offline. Could you imagine you're like just like offline kindergarten and mm -hmm. suddenly uh, you need to have the system to mm -hmm. teach people online? Mm -hmm. That's, Out of nowhere, right? Uh, Within yeah. a matter of days. Yeah. So that was a really interesting transition. And actually what's really interesting is I heard from one of my friends that his offline English training center was already losing market share to online. And so you saw the news very recently about Disney English closing down and they echoed the same sentiment. They'd already been losing customers to online because online is cheaper. You don't have to travel um, and potentially it's as effective as offline. 
And now because everyone who didn't believe in online teaching, they had to go through it anyway, they've seen the results in their kids. So now, even if they didn't believe it, believe in it before, they can see the results now, right? So when you talk about the new normal, it's not just about things that people do now, it's the things that people have had to do and the way it will influence how they act in the future. I agree that it pushed many institutes and schools uh, to work, uh, to know how to work online, how to teach online. But at the same time, I think like in Chinese culture, again, it's very important thing is offline. Like uh, children spend in school like a lot of time. Sometimes they live there, you know, like uh, to, to, to be there from early morning to like very late. They are teaching and preparing to Gaokao like from childhood. So I think it's kind of still very deep and traditional. Uh, the same like uh, with offices. Then when the teacher is like Laoban and he, he needs see and control. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I know what you mean. Um, actually, I've got a pretty interesting story about this. So I've got a, a friend called Mikal, who he's an American medical student in, in Hangzhou. So actually the lecturer, when it all broke out, the lecturer who gave the emergency meeting about the coronavirus was actually diagnosed with it a few days later. So he had to sign a form promising to stay indoors for 14 days, report his temperature every day. Um, but ultimately for him, he thought it was okay because he had a lot more time to do all the things that he'd never done before. He even actually made a, a YouTube channel called Medicine and Chill. Mm -hmm. So things are still a little bit up in the air because university hasn't started again. Yeah. Right. So he's kind of just, he's now this student with no studying to do. Or I mean, but he, no, has, they he, has, have classes. he has got classes, but, Online but classes, yeah. he can't go back to his internship. Oh, right. Okay. It's, he can't go on. To back to offline classes, it's a it's a confusing time actually, right? About education, I think it's uh, too early uh, to make any conclusions because the year, like the educational year, is not over yet. It will be uh, longer this year. I I mean, like my friends who are doing their masters here, not here actually, they go, they go back to their countries and they, now it's online courses, online exams, and it will be till the end of July. Probably mm -hmm. another thing is interesting. Actually, people who applied for for government grants here in China, they uh, got it, mm -hmm. and they cannot come to China, uh -huh. and they will start their online uh -huh. education. They never been to China, and uh -huh. they will start online education <laughs> online anyway. Like uh, so, maybe it's interesting tendency that you, you shouldn't come to China mm. to get China a degree. And one of the last industry which suffered a lot from this coronavirus is travel for sure. <laughs> and it's interesting. Like we talk. And now, uh, just after the Dragon Boats Festival, when it was three days off and epidemic is almost over, and it shows that it's 50% down from last year trips mm -hmm. on these three days off. Really? Which is, I don't know, it's bad or good. Because in Chinese media outlets, they say it's not bad because like, it's okay That's tendency. That's still pretty good, huh? And it's the same time when Beijing outbreak mm -hmm. and really bad weather and people still traveled. And so 50% from last year, just after like two months of outbreak, I think is good. Actually, it's pretty interesting that you say that because I just spent the Dragon Boat Festival weekend in Suzhou at the W Hotel over there. I'm pretty good friends with the GM, the general manager. He told me that over this Dragon Boat Festival weekend, there are 100% occupancy. They're Whoa. full, Whoa. right? Full. And that is, that's incredible because the, the hotel industry in Shanghai has been at like, you know, 10, 
20%. During the virus, there were times that some hotels, there were literally zero occupancy, right? Mm -hmm. Zero. So for this weekend to be 100%, that's incredible. Interesting that uh, the behavior of Chinese tourists also changed. Now it's like short distance and high-end trips gained in popularity among Chinese. Mm -hmm. They don't go far away. They're mm -hmm. trying to get... That's why actually Suzhou was full. Yeah, because, because many Shanghainese people yeah, just go sure. to Suzhou before they could go like abroad or like some long distance, mm -hmm. but they want to uh, stay closer to home yeah. in case in of case. something. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So it's interesting tendency. And at the same time, I think it will be back to normal mm -hmm. next year. And maybe for inner tourism, for inbound tourism, it probably will be even higher. For sure, for sure. Actually, I've got a foreign friend who got hired by Sea Trip mm -hmm. very recently because Sea Trip is seeing that the remaining foreigners in China, they're not going to be leaving China for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. They're going to be staying here, they're going to be traveling here. So Sea Trip are trying to bulk up their English language services for foreigners in China because they know they'll be traveling more domestically. So that's a very interesting thing to see. When we talk about the, the world will never be the same after coronavirus, uh, I think like uh, in travel industry, we really see a lot of new behavior, a lot of new tendency. And I think it will be the same in the world. If you look at China, like domestic tourism in China is growing. People will travel for sure. They need to travel, but they will travel around their own countries and even like around their own cities. And it will be high-end travel because you have uh, more money to spend. I mean, like, uh, you don't need to pay uh, very expensive air tickets and some, like, visa stuff, you know. So you can spend your money for a better hotel, for better services, for better food. So I was speaking to a friend called Ed. He owns a hotel called Skywells in a very small village in a pretty rural part of China in Jiangxi, southwest China. And and what he was telling me is pretty interesting. One because it's a it's perspective from a from a small village. One is also because it's from the hotel industry. So he was saying that because things always move slow there anyway, people weren't that quick to react. But once once it became apparent that everything was very serious, um, there was no shortage of people volunteering to combat the virus. Right, particularly the older generation for whom they probably had this kind of exercise when they were younger right during um, um more communist times and it was interesting for him to see this kind of scapegoat mentality so so at the beginning anyone from wuhan was like literally driven out kind of in a kind of semi-mob style and that then evolved to, to foreigners as the narrative turned in terms of the hotel they were made to close down for six weeks by the government and at the beginning of i think april they started to get a few brave people mostly locals coming to, to the hotel and then after that it started getting busy again one of the upsides of being in a small village meant that their connection with the local government was that much better right and so the local government was very willing to help guests jump through hoops Going back again, like, will the world really never be the same after coronavirus China experience? And we see the China experience show us that people can use to, like, you know, temperature check and some, like, QR codes, health QR code masks. But it's not a behavior thing. It's not that deep. To change your way of, like, lifestyle, 
or like uh, social distancing, all the things, or a party. I mean, like online alternatives cannot replace it. Mm -hmm. So people are still like social mm -hmm. animals mm -hmm. and they need to go out. They need to talk to people. They won't go to restaurants and to eat. They want to travel. And I don't think it will be changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of a little bit after 9-11. So what happened was we started to see a lot more security checks with metro stations or or trains and planes and stuff. But other than these kind of checklist things, things are pretty normal. Even it's not new normal, it's just back to normal. It just, it's back to normal, but with like a few added yeah, yeah. bits inside. A bit corrected right. normal, but not new one. Mm. You know, like updated, a bit updated, a bit more online, mm. a bit more digitalized. But I think I, I know what you're saying about human nature, right? Because anyway, we're social animals. Yeah. But I disagree with what you say on the way that business is evolving and the things that we will start to do, right? Of course, we want to be social, but maybe we'll change the ways that we do stuff. So I, I really believe that online teaching is the future because if you're... It was future anyway. It was the future anyway, but it got so catalyzed, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So all these things that maybe companies put on the back burner, like, you know, some of the stuff that we put on the back burner, we're like, oh, we'll do that later when we get time to it. We did have time for it. The same for tourism. It was... a very obvious tendency that people want to travel alone like uh, not like in the groups even for chinese market they love to travel in the groups but uh, more and more young chinese people they prefer travel alone by themselves so and again coronavirus catalyzed this and more people will choose like ecotourism they will not go to this like you know group attractions so just like to stay alone do i agree with that i don't think i do <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, like they it was tendency again. There's like a tourism going more individual. Mm -hmm. Just coronavirus speed up the tendency in many industries to be more personal. Yeah. In my perspectives, the coronavirus catalyzed things that were going to be happening anyway. Yeah. Right. It pushed everything forward onto more digital ways, and I think a lot of people will will understand this parallel that I'll make as well to the 2008 economic crisis is that once again we see that governments and big companies they're not these huge infallible machines yeah. they have their own weaknesses they have aspects that they can't control it actually re really reveals the fragility of society and, and and the systems that we rely on and that's really my big takeaway from the coronavirus is that nothing is, is as solid as it seems. My big takeaway about all the things that I'm really tired to talk about coronavirus. Uh. It's really too much. And I think <laughs> even our today episodes is a bit not that good as we expected because like it's too much coronavirus mm. everywhere. And the special thing that I work in media industry and we wrote so much about mm. coronavirus so I cannot handle it anymore. <laughs> and it's for me, it's very, uh, you know, like, Really, I don't know how to say. When you eat a lot of uh, of the same food, and I think that's the same. I over much coronavirus. That for me, it's not interesting. Well, it's that's, not it's uh, obvious. Of course, it's of not course. interesting for me. I'm sorry for uh, for people who listen to us. Maybe it was not that like fully. Uh, I didn't. I don't know how to say. It. But I think that's a really interesting reaction because that's probably how actually people all across the world feel. I hope right? so. And so like people in England, people in America who so are like... why we do this episode uh, of a coronavirus? No one <laughs> wants like, to listen about coronavirus. It's like people in England and America who are like, who, you know, very famously on the news, they're still yeah. going out, going out to beaches and parties and stuff, right? They're like, I've heard about this news so much. 
I don't care anymore. Like my 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 little brother, who's very smart, he's kind of like he was joking with my mum. He was like, I just want to get the virus and then get immunity and then be done with it. I'm so sick and tired of hearing this. I just want to get it and then I don't have to worry about it any ever again. So no, right? it's that kind of mentality of like this information overload that you're just like just get get it done with. So I, I think ultimately um, this is a topic that that I think is very important for us as people living in China that we give this that we have this oral history of what happened in China. Yeah. Right. Because even though it's not that interesting now, because there's been so much stuff about it. Uh, we, yeah. It's very interesting for it's, my grandson. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Back to history. It's yeah. necessary to have <laughs> this. And now we've heard about how we've both come through the virus. At the end of every episode, we like to recommend some content that's very relevant to China. Um, and as we've been talking about having all the spare time and doing things that we wanted to get done, Artem and his friend have been filming a series. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we got this time to do the, we call it vlogumentary, kind of series about human face of China, unknown China. This time is about Xingning Shi Autonomous County, which is in Zhejiang province. We went there, we talked to local people, we understand how the local businesses works, we understand the local culture and uh, share it with the people, with you, with audience. So I will put the link, you can watch it on YouTube, yeah. So I watched the pilot episode. I think it's fantastic. Actually, what was really interesting for me was how good the feedback was from the local uh, viewers, right? So it's a group of foreigners, basically, who go to explore hidden parts of China. And you guys were number two on Weibo, which is Chinese yeah, Twitter's... Yeah, Weibo Video tra Travel. Yeah, for, for the travel category for, for that day. And I think that's pretty cool that... Chinese people would be so accepting of seeing their own country through the eyes of foreigners, right? Of course, you're very interested in China, you're very knowledgeable about it, but it's still a different perspective, right? Yeah, I think that's really cool. And originally, yeah, it was for uh, foreigners, actually, more on YouTube, but then we also posted on Chinese uh, platforms, which is, again, about coronavirus. We planned it before uh, outbreak so people can come to China to see different China not only Shanghai Beijing and Great Wall but now it's uh, we explore that places which even Chinese people don't know and for them it's interesting because they now choosing somewhere to travel inside their own country yeah I will put the link in description and tell us maybe in our social media we will put our LinkedIn and our Instagram what the next topic you want to hear about because actually we didn't choose the next topic yet <laughs> okay thank you everyone so much for listening this is lucian and i'm artem and we are young, young china. china see you bye 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 oh my god this was awesome.